0: Welcome to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change, where we bring you stories of real people working to address real issues. I am your host, Shimon Cohen. Thank you to FIU's Disability Resource Center for providing transcription services. In this episode, I talk with Luzi Segu, who is the social justice doula from Miami, Florida. Luzi explains that she works to, quote, create the conditions for social justice learning and transformation to take place for individuals and organizations. She talks about how she loves seeing people grow and become committed to anti-racist social justice work, become politically active, how she deeply believes in the inherent value and good of people to change, and that even though conditions in the world can be terrible, she always has hope doing this work. Luzi shares techniques she uses with people to help with this transformation and explains how theory, specifically black feminism, saved her life, helping her see how systems oppress and that people are not to blame for their conditions, and how this relates to social work's person and environment approach. We discuss the white supremacy enacted by social workers and clinicians who pathologize oppression, Placing the problem inside clients, rather than acknowledging the violence of this, quote, anti-black, anti-woman, anti-queer, anti-trans, anti-immigrant world, and how social workers should be committed to social justice, not gatekeeping and the maintenance of oppression. She challenges us to ask ourselves what we are really practicing and, quote, how are we personally going to divest from anti-blackness? Lutzi also talks about how she got into this work sharing a powerful story of what it meant to attend Florida Memorial University and HBCU in Miami. I hope this conversation inspires you to action. Hey, Luzi, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And, you know, just so listeners have a sense of what's happening in the world, in the U.S. right now, while we're recording this, since this will be the July episode, but we're recording in June, right now there's protests that that are happening all over the country for Black Lives Matter in response to another horrific killing of a Black person, George Floyd, by police. So I just want to kind of ground our conversation in that current context and then open it up to you, uh, whatever you want to share to start and also, you know, to let listeners know what you do.
1: Thank you for the context. So um, where I want to start is like, I really, you know, here we are again. Um, here we are again, um, anti-Black violence is um, just permeating the streets, permeating our consciousness. And we've never been here before in the sense of um, we're doing this in the middle of a global pandemic. So we don't know what the long-term repercussions of that is going to be, especially we already know that the racist disparities and how COVID-19 is impacting Black people and Black bodies. So we don't even know what how people showing up in masks, what's that going to do two, three weeks from now. And also, we've never um, done these kinds of actions under the current president that we have. Mm. And so the, these conditions are really tricky. It's, all, it's, it's tricky. It's weird. It's the same thing, but it's not really the same thing because there's a lot of context that's like radically different and has shifted. Um, well, I am Lucy. I am the social justice doula. And what does that mean? That means that I create the conditions for social justice learning and transformation to take place. Um, If you know anything about the birth world, you know that midwives catch the babies. And the doula though, I like to think of the doula as a person who curates the vibe so that birth can happen, so that transformation can happen. And so I do that work. I accompany individuals. I work with organizations. And I help help in creating the container, holding space, creating the vibe, so that folks can operationalize their social justice values.
0: That's cool. And I love how you explain the doula process, that creating the vibe to lead to the birth. (laughs) How long have you been doing that work?
1: Well, officially under the social justice doula title, um, maybe I'm going into year two, but for a minute I've been like um, on the side kind of hustling and doing my own consultancy for a good little minute, um, you know, I'm, I'm a social worker, so I did a lot of frontline social work. And what I realized, and my I had a, my expertise was working with youth, um, specifically LGBTQ youth experiencing homelessness. And so what I found is that in working with youth. I had to do a lot of education of the adults because the adults were mainly their bullies, whether it be their parents, whether it be their schooling, um, you know, adults, um, you know, just really trampling on the rights and the agency of, and the sovereignty of young people. And so I had to do a lot of like coaching, a lot of, a lot of advocating, a lot of um, education. And I realized that I really, Loved. I like kind of stumbled upon the fact that teaching and facilitating is my superpower, and that I was really good at it. And I was good at it with adults, and I was good at it with young people. And I realized, like, oh, this is something I want to. I want to do. I want to. I want to democratize um, information. I want to like just, you know, whatever I learn, spread it out, and give people the tools to do the things that they need to do, so they could practice the things that they need to practice. So. Um, I'm really bad with time. So, um, officially being an official, uh, um, around like doing this LLC thing, I would say about two years. Um, but I've been doing it. I've been doing this form of a thing for the past three or four years, maybe a little more, um, in some way, shape or form.
0: So what do you love about the work that you do?
1: I love the fact that I get to do work that is 100% rooted in my values. And I know that as a person living in the United States of America, that is a, um, that's a privilege that is an honor because most people where they draw their paycheck, how they draw their paycheck is not always in line with their politics if they have a socio political lens. So I love that. And I also love the fact that I get to accompany people. I get to watch people in their process of waking up and getting politicized. Um, There's something really beautiful and powerful when a human being taps into the knowledge that they are not the problem, the system is the problem. Mm. And when they make that shift, that political shift, and they start to make different political calculations and they start to see themselves as a political being, um, and and they want to shape that political being, that is... Powerful, And so because I'm a social worker, I do believe that people are inherently value, valuable and people can change and be transformed if they want to. So to see um, people who were apolitical, to see people who were timid, to see people who weren't about that anti-racist social justice life, like like be about that anti-racist justice life. It's just like, okay, that's, that to me is just beautiful. It's inspiring seeing what the human spirit can do and, and become when it truly knows itself and it's starting to ask itself hard questions and starting to um, not only, not no longer accepting the version of themselves that white supremacy has given them. That's a very beautiful, very powerful, very inspiring um, thing to watch, which is why even when the conditions of the world are awful and horrible because of the work that I do, um, I'm, I never fall into despair um, because mm-hmm. I, I know where change and hope lies and I, my hope, is in the right places and I see change all around me and I'm grounded in what I need to be grounded in. And so that work feeds me. It keeps me going even in times such as these. And, um, and I just know for most people, especially in the middle of a global pandemic, they can't say that about their work. Um, so I'm grateful that as a black person, as a black woman living in the United States of America, that I, I do work that I like, that I love, that I'm proud of, that I low key have good you know would do for free have done for free at, at at various points um i know in this capitalist society that's big
0: yeah that's that's incredible that's really incredible and the hope that you convey is powerful you know i was as you were talking i was thinking about the part where you said when you see this shift in people where they recognize that they're not the problem the system's the problem and i was wondering if there's certain techniques that you found helpful in helping people to have that shift. And I'm, a, I'm figuring that that's going to be different depending obviously who the person is. Cause there's different blocks to that for different people based on their identity.
1: Yeah. So, um, well, I, um, I'm a third year doctoral student, so I'm like super hella nerdy. And so, um, I always say that theory saved my life. So finding black feminist thought, um, read every time I read, um, feminist texts, you know, I'm reminded like, Oh, okay. I'm not tripping. It's not me. It's, there's a name (laughs) for this, you know, it's patriarchy, it's misogyny, it's whatever. And so, um, I try to do the same thing with people, like in regards to like introducing them to, to different texts, different, those kind of things. But what I do, um, you know this is straight out of my social work training is just like i listen really well like um for what people you know because if you're you know when we're doing assessments those kind of things like you know people are telling you what's important to them people are telling you what their struggles are and um when you can really listen to people's story and i like to use you know just using different parts of narrative therapy Or is this just like helping people to reshape their story and to be like, is it you, is it you, or is it patriarchy? Is it you, or is it white supremacy? Is it you, or is it classism? And so just helping people to make that distinction between them and their conditions. And so that way um, folks are not so um, stuck in their shame around stuff that they don't need to be shameful about because they didn't go to Walmart and buy these conditions these conditions were given to them. And so um, so for me, I'd say like introducing people to different um, sociopolitical ideologies and readings and just really listening to them and just like using their own language, their own way of seeing the world and just kind of helping them like shift it or stand differently and look at things differently and so they can start to see and put two and two together. Because eventually um, you listen to people long enough They'll kind of, they'll kind of tell you and show you what is it they're lo- they're looking for, and I just try to be really open, included into that, and so really helping people to see that, and so that they can see like because you know we don't empower anyone, right? We just create the conditions for people to put two and two together, and when put people put two and two together for themselves, they're like, oh, okay, I get it, I'm I'm getting it, I see it, and they go off and they do the same thing for someone else. And I just think people, as long as people see feel seen and heard and affirmed, they will they're open to receiving quite a few things. And that's something, well, you know, people who recruit for neo-Nazis, they know that well. <laughs> you listen to people, you find out what they want and what they need, you could flip that for them in various ways. Some people are using that power to flip for good and some people are not. So, I just, that's what I, that's essentially what I do. It's just no magic per se. It's just that um, I just, people, I don't think people are used to being listened to in a very deep way anymore. And so, when you can do that and you can like show people like how, hey, it's not you. And I think a lot of people are looking for an alternative to I'm the problem. Like we've been fed that steady diet. And I think deep down in people's knowing in their bodies and on a cellular level, I think they want to be wrong about that. And I'm happy to help people be like, yeah, you are wrong about that. It ain't you.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, as you're talking about that, it really gets me thinking about social work training, especially clinical training. And those types of conversations are often not happening in a therapy session, right? It's very much centered on problems within the person, uh, some diagnostic criteria that's been met and a prescribed intervention that is evidence-based. So I was just, just, as you were speaking, it just got me thinking about that.
1: Which is unfortunate because the difference between us and everyone else should be person and environment. So even if you are a licensed clinical social worker, you should never be making someone feel as if it's it's them. And also the level of hubris and ego, you really think your 30, 40 minute talk therapy is just going to undo what this person's getting ready to go back into? Like That's just absurd. And so if we are social workers and we are distinct and we are different from other people who do mental health. We need to stick to the thing that makes us different. And last time I checked that was person and environment. Um, and so like, yeah, no, like, um, that's, it's, it's pure white supremacist rubbish to to in the in this anti-black world anti-woman world anti-queer world anti-trans world anti um immigrant world to tell people it's them that's just um that's a level of psychic violence that i just don't see how people can sign up to do that like that's just um and i get it you know um once people get out of social work school, they just want to hang their shingles. They just want to bill and they just want to do their thing, and they get disconnected. Um, which is why our profession looks the way that it looks. Which is why our clients are no better off in a lot of ways because um, we have become agents of the state, agents of white supremacy, and we're playing games out here when we need to. When we when we spent all this money to get all this fancy education just to just to rebuke it in various ways like we can argue like you know we could argue about our our education that we got and what was relevant what was not but for the most part we all got a very solid like social workers are responsible for knowing a lot Mm like when you compare a master's in social work to other master's degree like I remember reading an article a while back that said, you know, MSW is a 21st century um, JD degree. Like, you got to know everything. Um, You got to know psychopathology, how to work with individuals, how to work with families, how to work in groups, organizations. Like, that's a lot of knowledge to be responsible for. And so if you you took the time to get this pretty robust and in-depth degree, why would you go into the field just to rebuke all that you just learned? Granted, on some level, some of the stuff we learn, we do need to let go because it's rooted in white supremacy. But like, w- what are we? But we're gonna turn ourselves into mini psychologists and mini like whatever? Why? Nah, no. So yes, person and environment, and we have to ask ourselves what are what are the conditions? What are the things that are making people react the way that they're reacting? And are their reactions? Um, the reactions are appropriate considering the horrific environments that they are in. Like it might look inappropriate to people outside, but if you have a trauma informed lens, the way the people who we work with and for respond to these dehumanizing conditions is actually rather appropriate.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to read you a, one of your own quotes. So this is, you know, this is off your website. I became a social worker to work myself out of a job. I knew that as long as the world needs social workers, it means we have not achieved social justice and social justice is the goal. That's a powerful quote. That's a powerful (laughs) statement right there. And I was hoping you could say some more about that.
1: Yeah. Like legit. I, I think all of us who are, who call ourselves social workers have to ask ourselves a really hard question are we in this to work ourselves out of a job or are we in this to oversee and gatekeep and maintain oppression and subjugation? So when I became a social worker, real talk, I I always, like, again, I don't believe I'm empowering anybody or anything. I I always saw it like it was an honor to accompany people and to show them, hey, you know those things that you're doing to adapt and cope and whatever? Over here, we call it resiliency. You call it getting by. You call it hustling. You call it doing what you got to do. Let me show you how. Let me let me let me um, show you what you're already doing well, and kind of buffer you and give you some more skills and more resources to really um, help you do what you're doing well. And so, for me, as long as we live in a world where we need social workers, that's a problem. Then that means people are remaining vulnerable. Like Mm -hmm. social workers don't work with upper middle class, rich people. Like (laughs) we work with a very specific, um, um, class of folks. And if that class of folks keeps growing in numbers, leaps and bounds, their vulnerabilities keeps growing and we need, and, you know, social work school can't keep up, um, they, they can't, they, you know, they have to add so many seats every year. Like, that's not, that's a problem to me. That's a problem to me. I'm happy that our profession exists and it's not okay. The conditions in which that creates our profession. I'm happy that I do what I do and I'm not okay with the, with the injustices that makes my job like forever, forever available. Like I was talking to someone the other day and I had to remind him like, you're a social worker. You are never going to be unemployed. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's a good thing, and let's really look at that, like, all the things that are creating um, the need and the want for social workers. And so, for me, you know, I'm about liberation. I'm about liberation. Um, obviously, I'm not foolish enough to think that social work as a profession, nonprofit as a as a system, as a complex is going to save anything because, like, you know, nonprofits have been around for a very long time, mm-hmm. and. We can argue what needles they've pushed, what they've made better. Um, I'm I'm for liberation. I want people to be liberated. I want individuals and communities to be liberated. I want justice. Um, and um, our profession does a lot of things. However, it's not always at the forefront of justice.
0: Right. Yeah. Like it, a lot of our the way things are worded in our profession and. And a lot, honestly, a lot of statements I've seen coming out from all sorts of different places because everyone's putting out a statement, (laughs) Um, you know, and it's like this disconnect that there's always going to be people who are vulnerable. Like, it's already like that's been accepted, right? Mm. And like inside the literature, inside our code of ethics, it's like we do this because we've got to protect these vulnerable people rather than let's change the conditions where people end up vulnerable to begin with. Not saying there'll never be people who are vulnerable in different ways, but there are people who are vulnerable straight up because of systemic oppression, and that's the reason they're vulnerable, and that's it, and we need to get rid of it. And I was hoping you could speak a little bit To that, Because you and I were talking earlier before we started recording a little bit about the code of ethics as well.
1: So I always say the most insidious act of violence that white supremacy plays on us is it robs us of our imagination. Mm. And because it robs us of our imagination, it tells us that the world we have is the world we must accept. We can make some cosmetic changes here and there. We can reform this here and there. But like liberation, transformation, not that's too big, that's too lofty. And we say this as people who have smartphones, who can run companies and small countries from our iPhones and our Android. So it's very interesting um, that paradox. And so for me, what happens is um, anti racism is a practice of imagining and reimagining and practicing. Um, a new ways of being and moving towards a new world. And so for me, um, I make it a part of my resistance, part of my social justice, politic is to always activate my imagination and ask myself, what can be different? How can this be different? How can this be transformed? Because again, I'm Haitian American. Um, um, I'm proud descendant of people who drove their colonizers out of their country you know yeah, like yeah they someone had to like that that if you if you listen if you really understand the story of the haitian revolution that's something out of a marvel comic book right like it doesn't make any sense but it's a thing that happened and so and if you know the history of of slavery in the united states of america like in like slave owners didn't retire <laughs> they were drove out, they were driven out of business that too in that day was considered radical and like that can never happen that was outside of the scope of the imagination like the union was about to fall apart over slavery so i say all this to say we have lots of evidence of things that that at the time were beyond our imagination and happened and we're still living with the after imp- with the after effects of them happening and so Um, yeah, I don't accept that the way this world is, is how it has to be. We are in an imagination fight. And right now the white supremacist imagination has been winning for a long time. But if you look around and if you're paying attention, you're seeing like, that's not going to be for too much longer, which is why the streets are crying out the way that they are because this imagination fight, because people are like, actually, I have a different imagination. I want a plurality. I want something different. I want a world where we don't enforce gender in a very specific kind of way. I want a world in which um, income inequality doesn't have to be. I want a world in which, you know, we just do things different. We know ourselves differently. And um, that image, I, for one, I'm very happy and excited about that because there's a lot of us who, ha- who have not accepted and will not accept until we take our last breath that we have to accept the world that it that is currently that's no absolutely not um not
0: i like that about the imagination i like that a lot you know as you started talking a little bit about your background i wanted to ask you you know on a on a bigger level like how did you get into all of this work like how did you choose social work to even begin with
1: Wow. So that's a, okay. That's a really interesting story. So, so when I, when I first graduated high school and went off to school, I went off, um, to this, to this all women's college in Wesleyan, um, named Wesleyan in Macon, Georgia, and I wasn't feeling it. And I, I dropped out and then I came back home and, um, I went to Miami-Dade off and on Miami-Dade off and on. And then um, finally, I finished at Florida Memorial University, which is a historical black college in Miami. And that was a game changer for me. So I grew up watching a different world. I grew up watching the Cosby's, those kind of things. And I was just like, yo, I wanted a black college experience. Um, I didn't, I didn't even know that Florida Memorial existed. And when I found out, I was like, Oh my God, there's an HBCU right in my backyard. Yo, I gotta go. Mm -hmm. So I went and, um, I majored in English literature and that changed my life. So being in an institute, an academic institution where no one treated you as if, like I was never, my intelligence was never questioned at Florida Memorial University. Mm -hmm. Like the Dean is black. The groundskeepers is black. The people who, who fried the chicken on Tuesday is black. Like, this is all black everything. And so that, I needed that. I was just like, okay, okay. That was awesome. That was dope. And then um, I graduated. When I graduated, um, the recession had just started. And um, the kinds of jobs that I were applying for were very social worker-esque but I didn't know that. So I'm just, you know, you know, i got my English lit um, degree and people were like, girl, you got an English literature degree. Why are you applying for these jobs? And there are no jobs because there's a recession. Mm -hmm. And so um, at that time, um, you know, I'm coming into my consciousness and like, you know, I've gone to this HBCU. I've read the autobiography of Asada Shakur. I'm like, I've come into my consciousness around black feminism and I'm just reading any and everything that I could come in contact with. This is around the time Twitter is starting. This is around the time there's Tumblr and there's a lot of political education that's happening online. And I am just eating it up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snack. And, um, I meet this woman online and we become friends on Twitter and then we become Facebook friends. And then, um, and then we start talking on the phone and she's a social worker and she lived, um, she lives in Houston. And, um, I was just having a major crisis. Like I had just applied for the hundredth job, no response, no nothing. And she asked me, she was like, what do you want to do? And I explained to her what I want to do. And she was like, Oh you want to be a social worker. I was like, <laughs> social worker? I was like, uh-uh, girl. I don't know what you're talking about. Because for me, the impressions, the the people who I thought were social workers, it's like, for those of us who's ever been to a government um, office, if you've ever needed unemployment or in things of that nature, we were. I was under the assumption, like most lay people, that all of those people in those offices are social workers. And there was a way in which these people had a, like, lot of disdain for people seeking help they weren't very nice and i was just like nah i'm not i'm not that kind of person she was just like no no and she explained to me social work those kind of things and i did my research and i was just like yeah actually this is exactly what i want to do this is exactly what i want to do and then i started looking at the different schools in south florida and then i was like you know what i really like barry university I, i you know i live not too far and i was just like you know let's see and honestly so next to attending um so one of the best decisions i ever made of course was attending a historical black college and the second would be becoming a social worker um pursuing that um degree and i'm just really grateful that i had the kind of professors that i did they nurtured me um i was able to ask hard questions um this analysis that I have, this, this way of seeing the world, this strength-based perspective, person and environment, it fits so well with my Black feminist um, um, socio political ideologies. It fits so well with my social justice, all that kind of stuff. And so I just rooted myself into that. And um, that is how I came to social work. And I have to say, um, I never thought I would get to do all the things that I have been able to do with that MSW degree. I I ha- I, if uh, The one major critique I have of social work school is that they don't do a good job of showing us and teaching us all the things we can do as mm. social workers and all the spaces and places that need social workers, um, that the uncon- but they're unconventional. And so once I started realizing like, oh, every room needs a social worker. And then I started like flipping that and kind of making my presence known in places and spaces where you wouldn't expect social workers to be, that's when I was able to really tap in. I feel as if I am more of an asset to social work now that I don't do traditional social work jobs Um, because, you know, once a social worker, always a social worker. So yeah, that's how I got there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We carry it with us everywhere we go.
1: For better or for worse.
0: <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, since we're getting towards the end of, you know, just if there's anything else you wanted to use this space and this platform to talk about.
1: Well, I, I just I want to urge, you know, all your listeners. I know um, it's for people who are really serious about social change. Um, I don't know what the context will be by the time this episode comes out, but I know what the context is right now. Mm -hmm. And now is a time for us to really ask ourselves some hard questions and ask ourselves, what are we practicing? What, because sometimes I think there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we're actually practicing. And so I want to invite people to deepen their practice around their social justice skills, around social change, because social change requires personal transformation. We have to change how we see ourselves, how we parent, how we relate to each other romantically, personally, where we give our our money to. Like, we have to be personally transformed if we are going to win the ideological fight outside of us. So if I am unwilling to do my own personal work, if I am unwilling to make the changes that I need to make, how is that possible that I'm going to really call on my courage in the, in the public space within the Republic to bring about social change or to be about social change? So um, I, just, I just want us to be more reflexive or, um, and just ask ourselves some really tough questions Um, because, you know, we're, here we are again in the middle of this anti-black violence and we all have to ask ourselves, how are we personally going to divest from anti-blackness? Um, if, if black life is truly to matter, what in your personal life has to change in order for that, um, to be a thing that reigns supreme within the public sphere?
0: Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for coming on here. And thanks for doing the work in the community. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please follow on Twitter and leave positive reviews on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who's doing great work, please get in touch. And thank you for doing real work to make this world a better place.